Welcome to the VU Church Podcast. Today, Pastor Manushka Charles concludes our collection of talks, I Hate You, But It's Killing Me, in this message, Wide Open Spaces. Like a tunnel, unforgiveness will leave us trapped in a fence. The truth is, pain was never meant to be our final destination, but merely a place to pass through on our way to healing. There is light at the end of the tunnel. Next Sunday, we reflect on God's faithfulness as we celebrate eight years of VU Church. You don't want to miss it. Discover service times and viewing options at vuchurch.com slash visit. Now let's lean in to the message together. You can turn your Bibles to Psalm 118. Psalm 18, actually. I'm going to be reading from verse 16 to 19 and then verses 32 to 36. It says, he reached down on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of the deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. Anybody grateful that the Lord is your support? said, he brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. Verse 32, it is God who arms me with the strength and keeps my way secure. He makes my feet like the feet of deer. He causes me to stand on the heights. He trains my hands for battle. My arms can bend at a bow of bronze. You make your saving help my shield. Your right hand sustains me. Your help has made me great. You provide a broad path for my feet so my ankles do not give way. We've been talking about offense. We've been talking about unforgiveness. And if unforgiveness creates a fence in our lives, I believe that forgiveness gives way to freedom and God desires to bring us into a spacious place that he wants to bring us into wide open spaces that he's giving you space to dream again he's giving you space to hope again he's giving you space to live again because you've been confined for too long but God is saying I'm taking you into wide open spaces Let's pray together. God, bring us into wide open spaces. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Uh, Last year, I went on what I would call a trip of a lifetime. Our team, we got to go to Israel, and it was a dream come true to be able to walk where Jesus walked, to be able to open up the Bible and read stories from which they took place. And it was a beautiful trip. And towards the end of the trip, our tour guide said, "Uh, there's an optional tour that you can take. Said, you can tour this place called Hezekiah's Tunnel. And he began to describe this tunnel to us. It was made in maybe the 
eighth century, and it was a water tunnel. And it was used to bring water into the city if they were ever under attack. And so we were kind of asking some questions about the tunnels, like, all right, how long does it take us to get to the tunnel? And he's like, well, it, it depends on how many tours they are. And we're like, okay, so what does it look like? He's like, well, there's water in the tunnel. It's a little dark. You'll need a flashlight. And he's telling this to our group, and immediately the group, like, split in half. People started having things that I didn't even know they had. Somebody's like, oh, man, I got asthma. I can't go. I'm like, I don't, I don't think that's true. And people were making all kinds of excuses. It was like, oh, I, got, I can't do it. I got to make a phone call. It's just all kinds of things. This is true. I was just like, okay. And I decided, I was like, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this optional tour because in the beginning of the trip, there was another optional tour that I didn't go on and people were giving me a hard time. They were like, hey, there's this mountain. We're going to climb it. Uh, it's gonna be, we're going to leave at 4 a.m. And it's the mountain that maybe Jesus prayed on. I said, if you don't have confidence, I'm not going for a maybe. You don't. I'm not waking up at 4 a.m. for a maybe. Maybe Jesus went. And so I skipped on that one. I was like, you know what? Let me, let me do this Hezekiah tunnel thing. And so uh, we started off, and it was, it was all fun and games in the beginning, right? It was really cool. We're taking photos. We're taking videos. We're, we're getting into the tunnel. And as, as we got further into the tunnel, like, the walls started closing in. And the ceiling got a little shorter. And then all of a sudden... I started to have a mini panic attack. And in my mind, I'm all of a sudden doing breathing exercises. I got asthma. I was just like, wait a minute. I think I got it too. It just all kinds of things were happening. It was happening in my mind and I didn't want to tell anybody what I was going through because I was like, I just have to stay calm. And I was just like, I need to get out of here. People ahead of me are taking videos. And I'm like, this is not the place to take a video. Get me out of this tunnel. It was dark, it was scary. I'm like asking our tour guide how long, and they're just like, you just gotta keep moving. And I finally understood the phrase, the light at the end of the tunnel. Because when I saw that light, it was as if I met Jesus for the first time. I said, Lord, I didn't know if I was gonna make it, but I made it. And as I was in that tunnel, there was never a moment that I was like, you know what, maybe I should like hang out here. Maybe I should like stay in this tunnel. Maybe I should like build a family in this tunnel. Maybe I should start a life in the tunnel. No, all I could think about was getting out of the tunnel. I, I didn't want to be confined. I did not want to be boxed in. I had to get out. And many of us live life in confinement. And we're in this tunnel, but a tunnel is never a place that we are to live. It's always a place to pass through. The tunnel is never a place for me to stay. It's always been a place of passage. And the hurt and the pain and the trauma and the unforgiveness that you are going through, it's a tunnel. It is not your destination. Some of us have sat in some things for too long and we have made it our destination. That we have made bitterness a destination. That we've made unforgiveness a destination. That we've just decided, I'm just gonna sit in it. I'm just going to sit in this pain. I can't get out of it. But I want to encourage you today that you do not have to stay where you are. You don't have to stay stuck. You don't have to stay confined that you can get out of your situation. You can get out of the hurt. You can get out. 
And what I've realized is sometimes we can get out of the tunnel, but the tunnel is still in us. That I could get out of that situation, but it hasn't gotten out of me. That it could be 10 years later and I'm still dealing with some of the same grief and I'm still dealing with some of the same unforgiveness. And it's not until I choose to get out. And can I tell you, you have power and authority to speak to those things that have held you bound to tell it to get out. That bitterness does not have to be your portion. You can tell it to get out. Unforgiveness does not have to be your story. You can tell it to get out. Offense does not have to take root in your life. You can tell it to get out. If you only knew that you could take up your authority and tell it to get out. Somebody shout at me, get out. You got to speak to those things that have been trying to keep you bound and you can tell it to get out. I don't have to live like this. I don't have to be like this. I can get out of this situation. And so the psalmist, he says that I want to be led into a spacious place. That I don't want to be in confinement. That I don't want to be where I always have been. That I want to get out into wide open spaces. And some of you, the enemy has been messing with you. He's been messing with your family. He's been messing with your mind that you have been stuck in unforgiveness. But can I tell you that it's time for you to step outside. It's time for you to step into the goodness of God. I remember in the pandemic when we were confined for a bit, when we first started getting outside and getting a bit of normalcy, I'd ask my friends, where you at? And they would say, we outside. <laughs> That's real Brooklyn, but we'd be like, yo, we outside. But can I tell you, you can look at the devil in the face and tell him, yo, we outside. I know you tried to keep me trapped, but we outside. I know you tried to keep me bound, but we outside. I'm telling you. I'm not staying in my unforgiveness. I'm stepping out into a new place. He reached down from on high. He took hold of me. He drew me out of the deep waters. What is that text saying? It's saying that I was, I was down in it deep. I was stuck. It felt like there was no way out. But God in his grace and God in his mercy that he reached down from heaven and he pulled me out of the mess that I was in. He rescued me from my powerful enemy. Offense is a powerful enemy. Unforgiveness is a powerful enemy. He says that the enemy was too strong for me. Sometimes it's too strong for us to handle. That I might not be able to do forgiveness on my own, but with the help of God, he can reach down and he could be my support. He could bring me into spacious places. And the spacious place kind of looks like Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. 
He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runneth over. And here is the promise. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You've got a good shepherd that's saying that if I got to take you by the hand, I'll take you by the hand and lead you where you need to go. That you don't have to be stuck anymore. You don't have to stay paralyzed anymore. He will take you by the hand and lead you. You might not know which way to go, but he's leading you. He's leading you. He's leading you. You've got a good shepherd and he's leading you. And so if I'm stuck, it's got to be my own fault. If I stay where I am, it's up to me because he's saying that I will lead you, but will you follow? It's like, I know it hurts. I'm not discounting the hurt. I'm not discounting the pain that you've been through. I'm not discounting what they did to you, but I can't stay in it. It doesn't matter. The past is the past. And I've got to allow the good shepherd to lead me. I've got to let him lead me. I don't want to stay stuck anymore. I don't want to be confined anymore. The shepherd wants to lead you into wide open spaces, but he leads with his voice. That's the way that a shepherd leads. Jesus said, my sheep, they know my voice and a stranger they will not listen to. And so if I'm going to be led into wide open spaces, I've got to know his voice. I need to be able to hear him. In the tunnel, I never could see my guide, but I could hear him. And so even in the seasons where you can't trace him, you can trust him. Even in the seasons where you don't see him, he's still working. The good shepherd desires to lead you. But if he's going to lead me, I have to trust him. I have to trust that he has good plans for me. I have to trust that he's going to take me where I need to go. And the good shepherd leads us into wide open spaces to give us rest. David, he says that leads me beside the still waters. that He restores my soul. Unforgiveness will try to steal your rest. For some people in this room, the pain and the hurt that you've gone through, it has caused you to become restless. That you can't sleep at night. That you toss and you turn and you replay that situation over and over again. That you replay that scenario and and you dream of ways that it could have happened and you wish that it happened differently and it, it robs you of your rest. Unforgiveness can rob us of our rest physically but also spiritually. That our souls can be uneasy and our souls can feel weary and our souls can feel tired but the promise of the good shepherd is to lead you into a place where he can restore your soul that he can restore that which was taken from you 
the thing that was robbed from you, your innocence, your purity, whatever was taken from you, he's saying that I want to restore you. I want to restore the areas that you have been feeling pain and the areas that you have been feeling hurt, that he desires to restore you and give you rest, that you can rest in wide open spaces. See, unforgiveness will attempt to rob you of your rest, but it will also attempt to rob you of your appetite. And sometimes your heart is so broken that you can't even eat. That it has taken your appetite from you and all you can think about is the pain, but, but he says that I prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. And so in a place where unforgiveness and offense would, would try to take your appetite, he's saying, I've prepared a table for you. I've prepared a table so that you can eat. That I've set up a table and the very things that tried to rob you of your appetite must sit and watch you eat. That the trauma must sit and watch you eat. That the pain has to sit and watch you eat. That the depression, the anxiety, what they did to you, they got to sit and watch you eat. I'm going to feast on the daily bread. He is everything that I need. They're going to watch me eat. I prepared a table for you. You're not going hungry anymore. Because God's going to restore your hunger for him. Because it could take away your physical appetite, but also your spiritual appetite. Where you can come to a place like this, and the presence of God could be in the room, but you feel numb to it. You're like, God, I, I, don't, I don't sense you. I, I can't connect. I can't pray. I can't worship. I can't read my Bible. And whatever attempted to rob your appetite, God is restoring your desire and your hunger for him. In this psalm specifically, the word enemy means to bind, to be narrow, to be in distress. So anything that tries to bind you up is an enemy. Anything that tries to keep you captive is an enemy, but the heart of God has always been to set the captives free. In Job 42, it says that God and the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Also, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Job was in captivity. He wasn't in a physical captivity, but spiritually and mentally, he found himself captive. If you're unfamiliar with the story of Job, Job 1 and 2 is an interesting conversation. It's between God and the enemy. And they have some sort of meeting and God's asking the devil, said, where have you been? He said, I've been going to and fro. And he said, have you considered my servant Job? And the devil says, well, of course Job is upright. Of course he's all these things. You have blessed him. You've placed a hedge of protection around him. And so God confidently believes that no matter what happens to Job, that he will keep his integrity. 
So Job 1 and 2 is this conversation, and, and it goes into Job 3, where, where Job is now facing all the suffering, and he's facing pain. He's lost his family. He's lost his sheep, and he's lost his cattle. He's lost everything that he has owned, and, and his friends come to him. And his friends, they practice this Jewish tradition called sitting shiva. And for seven days, they are silent and they are just sitting in the grief and sitting in the mourning and they don't say any words. And it probably would have been best if they did not talk at all. Because his friends, when they begin to speak, they bring more suffering than they do bring support. So from Job 3, to Job 38, it is this discourse and this conversation that his friends are having in which they are accusing him of sin. They're minimizing his suffering. They are showing him little to no empathy and the very people who are supposed to be his friends are causing him sorrow and causing him grief. But then in chapter 38, God steps into the story. See, he hasn't talked since Job 2, and for 36 chapters, he's letting Job's friends go on and on, and he stands face to face with Job, and he's just like, uh, there's a lot that has been going on, but, but can I ask you a question? And God confronts Job, and for five chapters, he begins to reveal himself to Job. He says this to him, he says, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimension? Surely you know. You stretched a measuring line across it. He also says, he says, have you ever given orders to the morning or shown dawn its place? He goes on, he says, have you comprehended the vast expansion of the earth? Tell me if you know all of this. I mean, he's getting real gangster with Job. He's like, let me... Let me ask you some questions like, you must not know who I am. He says, do you send the lightning bolts their way? Do they report to you and say, here we are? He's like, Job, do you know who I am? Do you know the God that you serve? And so for five chapters, you got to read it. God begins to reveal himself to Job in a way where Job is at a point where he says, my ears have heard you, but now my eyes have seen you. I heard about you, but now I've seen you. I heard that you were good, but now I've seen it with my own eyes. Job had a limited perspective of God. He had a narrow view of God, and God wants to bring you into wide open spaces so that you can see who he is. God is bigger than you could ever imagine. God is greater than your problem. He is greater than your issues. And if you would just get the revelation of the bigness of God, you would walk into a room like this with your head held high, knowing that God would take care of every situation in your life. God's like, I'm trying to bring you into wide open spaces because you've been tripping over some things. You've been tripping over the offense. You've been tripping over the trauma. You've been tripping over the pain because you can't see in this confined space. But I'm bringing you into a space where you can see better. Usually when you trip, you're like, yo, I didn't, I didn't see that. But God's like, I'm trying to take you into a place where you can actually see. See, the word offense in the Greek means to trip. One who stumbles, one whose feet gets entangled. 
So we've been tripping over a fence. But what God wants to do is give you the agility and the ability to step over the things that you once tripped over. The psalmist said, it is God who arms me with strength and keeps my way secure. He makes my feet like the feet of deer. He causes me to stand on high heights. And so what does that mean? I'm not going to be tripping over the same things anymore. That I can step over the offense. The same things that used to trigger me can't trigger me anymore because I'm stepping over it. I know I used to trip, but I'm stepping over it. I know this used to mess with my mind, but I'm stepping over it. The enemy thought that he could entangle me, but I've got feet like the feet of deer and I can step over it and I can trample over every demon and trample over every scorpion. He's given me feet like the feet of deer. I'm not tripping over that anymore. Oh, I'm not tripping no more. For five straight chapters, God begins to reveal himself to Job. And my prayer for you, wherever you find yourself, whatever room you are in today, I just pray that you would just begin to see how big God is. I pray that he would reveal himself to you. Because I know this problem seems great. But God is greater. I know the hurt feels great, but God is greater. He begins to tell Job about his goodness. And this brings Job to a place of repentance. That he's like, God, I'm so sorry that I entertained these conversations. I'm so sorry that I let people minimize who you were. I'm so sorry that I engaged in these conversations that didn't magnify you, but it magnified my problems. And he began to repent before God. He said, God, I'm sorry that I, I put my problems over you. Sorry that I was so focused on what somebody did to me that I forgot what you did for me. I repent. I'm sorry, but nowhere in these five chapters does God ever tell Job why he went through what he went through. That as God is revealing himself to Job, his, his purpose is that, to reveal himself. But he never says, hey, Job, let me tell you about Job 1 and 2. You know who doesn't know what happened in Job 1 and 2? Job. He has no idea that God was sitting in heaven bragging on him. He had no clue that God had full confidence in him and that God was calling him blameless and upright, but he didn't need to know it to be able to see God. And some of us are trying to figure out the reasons why we're going through what we're going through. And Job never got a reason and you might never get one either. The story never comes to a resolution for Job for him to feel like, okay, I know God restored me, but he told me why he did it. No, God said, my restoration is enough. You may never know why, but I am going to restore you. I might never know why I got hurt the way I got hurt. You may never know why you had to go through what you went through. But as long as God is with me, I just need to know about him. I don't need to know about my problems. 
See, I want to help somebody in the room that's just been battling with the memory of what happened to them and been wrestling with God. And your question has been, why God? Why did I go through this? Why? Why am I going through this pain? Why did they betray me the way that they did? Why did they say what they said to me? And we can ask God why over and over again. And God's just like, I just want to be with you. I may not have an answer for you, but I promise to be with you. That I promise to stand with you. That as long as I know God, as long as I know his goodness, even if I never get an answer, even if I never get a reason that I can still praise him, even if I never know why, I'm not waiting for my why to trust God. Revelation 7, 17 says, for the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to the spring of water and God will wipe away every tear from their eye. That God will wipe away every tear that as long as the good shepherd is leading you, he is never going to forsake you. That he's never going to leave you alone. That he's for you. See, offense would love to have you live small, but God reveals himself to Job in a way that brings him repentance. And it releases great blessing over his life. Job repents. He says, sorry. But then God turns to Job's friends. And he said, you need to repent too. But their act of repentance required a sacrifice. There's sometimes you've got to attach action to your sorry. So he tells them, to get seven rams and he tells them to get their sacrifice to bring it to Job to apologize. Some people in this room are Job. Some people in this room are Job's friends. That I know that in a room this size, people watching online from the design district that there's some people that you need to say sorry to. There's some people that you need to ask for their forgiveness. And there might be some action that needs to be required or attached to your forgiveness. See, you have to offer forgiveness at the level of offense. For Job, it was just God, I'm sorry. But for his friends, God said, I need you to bring a sacrifice. All sorries are not made equal. You can't offer a cup of apology for a gallon of offense. So who do you need to apologize to? Job's friends, he, he brings, they bring the sacrifice to Job and this is where the text says, and the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. And he released twice as much as he had before. See, Job was not released from his captivity until he prayed for his friends. 
And some of us find ourselves in a place of captivity that God desires to release us from, but we've got to release the people who have hurt us. That are you willing to pray for the people that didn't have your back? Are you willing to pray for the people who betrayed you? This is what happens in Job's life. It says the Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the former. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camel, 1,000 yoke of oxen. Said after this, Job lived 140 years. He saw his children and their children to the fourth generation. And so Job died an old man full of years. That God not only restored Job, but he allowed him to live to see it happen. I know you said you, this relationship will never get restored. It won't happen in my lifetime. That my family, that there's no way my family could come together. It won't happen in my lifetime. But can I speak to that person in the room and tell you that it can happen in your lifetime? That you will live to see it happen. You will live to see your family free. You will live to see you out of the bondage. You will live to see it happen. Oh, but forgiveness is the key to release you. That God wants to release you into favor. That he wants to release a blessing over your life, but he cannot bless you in the confined space. Because if I stay confined, there is not room enough for God to bless me. If I stay in the tunnel, if I stay in the confined space, if I stay in the offense, if I stay in the unforgiveness, there is no room for God to bless me. But I believe that God wants to release a blessing over your life, but it's gonna be when you release the people who hurt you. It will be when you release forgiveness. God will release you. Oh, I sense in my spirit, God is getting ready to release somebody in a season of favor, in a season of blessing, and it will overflow. Isaiah 61, it says this, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for captives and release from darkness for prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Come on, anybody believe that it's the year of the Lord's favor? I don't need everybody. I just need a few people to believe that it is the year of the Lord's favor. If you would just grab hold to the word that God wants to release over your life, that he will take you out of the darkness. He'll take you out of the confined space. He'll take you out of that place that you felt paralyzed and you felt bound. He's saying that this is the year of the Lord's favor. If favor is falling, I'm going to reach up and grab it. If favor is falling, I don't want to miss it. So I'll get out into the wide open spaces to receive the favor of the Lord. Favor is falling in Favor's falling, it's falling, it's falling, it's falling. Oh, I believe it. Favor's falling wherever you are. Favor's falling at the design district. Favor's falling in the additional seating. Come on, favor is falling. This is what he says. He says to bestow upon them the crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment 
of praise instead of the spirit of despair. Some of us have been walking with the spirit of despair. Some of us have been walking, feeling down, but God is saying that I'm going to do a great exchange, that I'm getting ready to give you the oil of joy. I'm getting ready to restore you in a brand new way, that I'm exchanging the unforgiveness for the joy of the Lord. And this is what he says. He says, they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting for the Lord. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. That there's been some places that have been devastated in your life and God is bringing restoration. He said they will renew the ruined cities that they have been devastated for generations. For some of you, there has been unforgiveness that has followed from generation to generation that your mother can't forgive and your grandmother can't forgive and everybody holds grudges and nobody loves anybody and nobody talks about it but God's saying that when I release favor it's not going to just touch you it's going to touch the generations before you and the generations after you you can be the one that it ends with that it ends with me that it's not going into the next generation that there's going to be a restoration of generations I'm almost done. He says, strangers will shepherd your flocks and foreigners will work your fields and you will be called the priest of the Lord. You will be named ministers of the Lord. You will feed on the wealth of nations and their riches you will boast. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion and instead of your disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance and so you will inherit a double portion in your land and everlasting joy will be yours. He's bringing you into wide open spaces. Your land is getting ready to be enlarge your territory is getting bigger your favor is getting wider he's bringing you into wide open spaces and God is doing the restoration through forgiveness so all over the room everybody's standing because we're gonna pray and this is for those who are saying God I, I want to be released into the wide open spaces that you have for me that I've been confined, I've been living bound, I have not been living in the fullness of which you have for me, but today I wanna step into freedom. So I'm gonna pray a prayer of release. Before we worship, just lift up your hands all over this room. Father, I pray, Lord, where hands are lifted at the Design District and right here in Somi at the Everglades Correctional Facility, as our hands are lifted, Lord, this is a sign that we will receive what you have for us. That God, as you release a double portion, as you release your favor, we receive it. And we lift up our hands also saying, whatever it is that we have to let go of, whoever we need to forgive, whoever we need to release out of our hearts, we release it in the here and now. No longer will we hold the grudge, no longer will we hold the offense no longer will we hold this hate in our heart but God we release it to you and we receive all that you have for us in Jesus name amen and amen come on can you thank God all over the room thank you for listening to today's message 
Vu, we believe we weren't meant to do life alone. We've been created with a unique purpose and designed to live in relationship with Jesus. If you've never surrendered your life to Him, we want to create an opportunity for you to do so today. If you want to say yes to Jesus, would you pray this with me? Dear Jesus, come into my life. Be the Lord of my life. I trust you with my past. I ask that you guide me in my present. And I even place my future in your hands. I'm yours, Lord. Church.com slash online. We love you.